0: It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father Or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So we're in this new series that Luke started last week. Christ Church at five years uh, revisiting the vision. So, we're looking at the different values and priorities that make us who we are as a church. Last week, Luke started that with the value of joyful worship. And so, this week, we're going to continue that by looking at commitment to discipleship. So, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say that Christ Church is committed to discipleship? I mean, what even is discipleship? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Or a disciple of Jesus. Well, just as it happens, today is a holiday that commemorates someone who is a wonderful example of Christian discipleship. Patrick of Ireland, or who is also known as St. Patrick. Uh, he was actually a British priest and a missionary to Ireland in the 5th century. When he was a boy, he was captured from his home in Britain and he was taken to Ireland as a slave. Many years later, after he had escaped from slavery and he'd returned to his home in Britain, God called him to be a missionary to Ireland, to the very people who had captured him and enslaved him for years. But Patrick heeded the call. And because he obeyed that call, God used him to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a nation that had never heard the gospel before. And it was because of his ministry that within the next couple of generations, the entire nation of Ireland was transformed forever. And to this very day we are experiencing the benefits of that ministry. So Patrick's testimony is an excellent reminder of what discipleship truly is. And the essence of discipleship is this. It is obedience to the call to follow Jesus. And this morning we're going to examine that call and we're going to see what it means to obey that call to follow Jesus. We're also going to see that there's a cost to discipleship. Following Jesus carries a price. So we'll also see what it costs to be a disciple, and we'll see how we can learn to joyfully pay that cost of following Jesus. But examining only the call and the cost of discipleship would leave us discouraged, and it would also leave us powerless if we did not also understand the heart that drives and that motivates discipleship. So this morning, we're going to learn about the call of discipleship and the cost of discipleship, and finally, the heart of discipleship. First, then, we hear about Christ's call to discipleship. As we have just seen, it's a call to follow him. We've seen this in verse 21, where Jesus commands the rich young man first to sell everything that he has, and then to come follow him. That's what he says, come follow me. And it's easy for us to focus on the command to sell everything, and we're going to get to that, but we need to see first and foremost that the driving emphasis, the driving command in Jesus' words is not sell everything, it is come follow me. That's what is essential for this. that Jesus wants this young man to do. <clears throat> and this is a very common command that we see throughout the Gospels, and most often it comes up in the stories of when Jesus is calling his disciples. Uh, for example, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Apostle Matthew shares his own testimony uh, in not chapter 9, verse 9. He says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So what does this command mean for you? What does it mean for us today when Jesus says, follow me? Well, first of all, it means that if you are a Christian, then you have also been called by God to follow Jesus. The call of discipleship, the call of following Jesus, is for all Christians. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not called to be a disciple or follower of Jesus. So I warn you, do not presume to call yourself a Christian or to take the name of Jesus if you are not willing to obey the call to follow him and to be his disciple. Secondly, we see that the call of discipleship changes the decisions that we make and it changes the things that we do on a daily basis. When Jesus called his disciples, he wasn't calling them to just follow him for one day or even just for one day out of the week. He was calling them to follow him every day, 24-7, permanently. His call reordered their priorities and it reoriented their lives so that Jesus and only Jesus would be the center of everything they did from then on. And Jesus' command to this rich young man to sell everything was actually a test. Jesus was testing him to see if he really would actually follow him if he would prioritize Jesus above all else, if he would reorient his life around Jesus. And sadly, we see that this young man was not willing to do this. He loved his money and his possessions. He loved his status too much. Those things were higher priorities in his life than Jesus. So if you are a Christian, you need to understand that you do not get to have any priority that is higher than Jesus. Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. Our entire life has to be oriented around Him if we are His disciples. That means we don't get to make any decision based solely on what is easy or what is convenient or what is comfortable or what will make us happy. Every single decision regarding every single area of our lives must first take into consideration Jesus' commands and Jesus' expectations of his followers. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds like a bit much. (laughs) And you're right. It is. But keep in mind that the goal of Christian discipleship is nothing more and nothing less than Christ-likeness. We want to be like Jesus. Jesus. And that's not easy. In fact, it's impossible. Jesus says as much in verse 25. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person, and by rich person he means all of us, to enter the kingdom of God. But then he also assures us in verse 27, he says, With man this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So in the end we see that we are utterly dependent on God to be molding us and shaping us and working on us so that we become more and more like Jesus. But we also see clearly from this story that God does not do this over and in spite of our unbelief and our disobedience. God clearly commands us and expects us to obey Jesus' call to follow him, but he also assures us of his presence and his work in us as we do that. So God is working in us, as we are also working to follow Jesus. So what then are some practical ways that we can work on being disciples, on growing in our discipleship? Well, first of all, we need to realize that we structure our lives and the time that we spend around the things that we value. We organize our schedules around work or school or family, sports and leisure. So I ask you, how does the structure of your weeks and of your days reflect your priority to be a follower of Jesus. Do you have regular set times for private prayer and reading the Bible? In your planned family times, do you set aside time for praying, reading the Bible, and worshiping together as a family? And do you look for other Christians and spend time with friends who will encourage you and who will challenge you to become a better disciple of Jesus? Do you even plan your weekends and your free time so that you can spend time with God and with his people? I'd encourage you to do these things and also find other ways to build discipleship into your daily and weekly schedules. Secondly, we also need to see that who we spend our time with is also a direct reflection of the things that we value. We spend time with our family or with co-workers, with teammates or with classmates, with our social media followers, or with our church family. Indirect proportion to how much we value and prioritize those relationships So how much do you do we value our church community? How highly do we prioritize being with other Christians and being involved in each other's life? And I warn you the Bible recognizes no such thing as a solitary disciple of Jesus it doesn't exist Discipleship happens within a community, and it is impossible, impossible to truly follow Jesus outside of a community of Jesus' followers. So I'd encourage you then to find ways to prioritize involvement in Christian community. Finally, the third thing that we can do to work on as growing in our discipleship, understand that obeying Jesus' call to be his disciple means that we will also be making disciples. The two strongest commands that Jesus gives to his disciples in the Gospels come at the beginning and at the end of his time with them. The first one we've already seen is follow me. The final command comes in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 through 20 where Jesus says this, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the command. So how can we get involved in making more disciples of Jesus? Well, you can start by sharing the gospel and by living out the gospel to your family. If you have kids, whether they are Christians or not, look for ways to tell them about Jesus as often as you possibly can. If you are married or you're in a serious relationship, look for ways to show your spouse or your significant other and to tell them about the love of Jesus. Or if you have relatives or close friends who are not Christians, pray for them, talk to them, and live in a way that shows the difference that Jesus has made in your life. But you can also take advantage of the opportunities that our church is actually giving to you. For example, you can, uh, uh, you can invite someone to the block parties that we have coming up. Or you can invite them to come with you on church on Sunday. Or you can get involved in a community group and invite your non christian friends to come join it. Or, on your own, you could form a discipleship group with other Christians who, want, who also want to become better followers of Jesus. Or you could even find someone who you think would help you to become a better disciple and just set up a time to meet regularly together. But whatever it is that you do, remember that disciples of Jesus are always looking to grow as disciples, and they're always looking for ways to make more disciples of Jesus. So discipleship, we've seen, is essentially obedience to Jesus' call to follow him. And we've seen that is for everyone who claims to be a Christian. And it's also something that reorients and it reshapes how we live and the decisions that we make on a daily basis. Secondly, we need to understand that there is a cost to discipleship. If you obey the call to follow Jesus, and if you are committed to that call, then there will inevitably be a price to pay. This is why Jesus told the young man to sell everything that he had, because this man came to Jesus not expecting to have to give up anything. He wanted to keep his wealth and his status. He wanted to keep his achievements and his self-righteousness, and he wanted to have Jesus too. But Jesus was up front with him, and he let him know that it doesn't work that way. Nobody gets to have Jesus on top of or on the side of whatever they already have. If you want Jesus, if you truly want him, you can have Jesus. But Jesus is clear that we do not get to have anything else with Jesus. And when Jesus called his disciples, as we already saw, Peter and Andrew left their nets and their boats, and Matthew left his tax booth. Peter reminds Jesus of this in verse 28, and Jesus responds to him and to, responds to this in verse 29 and 30. He says, "Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life." So there's both a challenge and assurance for us here in these words. The challenge is that Jesus clearly expects his disciples to lose homes, to lose family and lands, and even suffer persecution for his sake. Jesus is actually even more blunt about this elsewhere in the Gospels. In fact, in Luke 14, he says this, "...if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These are heavy words. And normally we are quick to qualify and explain Jesus' words in these passages, but instead of doing that this morning, I want you to consider if following Jesus has ever actually cost you anything. What have you had to say no to out of love for Jesus? What have you ever had to leave behind or give up because you follow Jesus? When has following Jesus ever actually gotten you into trouble instead of out of it? The greatest danger that, the, of the, that has faced the church throughout its history has actually not been persecution and oppression. Rather, it has been prosperity and comfort, and ease. It is easy to have Jesus on the side when you already have everything else, when you think that you have all you need. But Jesus is more likely to mean everything to you when everything else has been taken away or when Jesus has called you to give it up. And we get flustered when Jesus says things like like we have to renounce our homes and our families because we always expect our families and our homes to be places of security and of acceptance. But I guarantee you that it would be different for us if our families were threatening to disown us or cast us out or even kill us because we follow Jesus, which is actually a reality that Christians are facing all over the world. In fact, before we came to San Antonio, my family and I were missionaries in Oaxaca, Mexico, for about a year and a half. And while we were there, I met a man named Alejandro. Alejandro was a farmer in a remote little village of only about 500 people, and he and his family were the only Christians who were living there. And when he became a Christian, he stopped participating in some of his village's tribal practices. As a result, he has been repeatedly threatened and attacked and robbed, even imprisoned. And this is not coming from the government or from another power. It is coming from his own extended family and relations and neighbors. Because he no longer follows their tribal religion. He follows Jesus. And this is exactly... Exactly what jesus is talking about if you are following jesus then he becomes the center He alone is the priority and he alone is what you hold on to So when push comes to shove everything else and jesus does mean everything You have to be willing to let go So what does this look like for us today? well Maybe you meant to keep a regular Bible reading time, but that would mean you get less sleep. So what are you going to do? Or maybe at work you're asked to do something that you know just isn't right, and you might not lose your job for refusing to do it, but you definitely will get passed up for promotion. So what are you going to do? Or maybe at school you'll get teased, or you'll get made fun of for standing up for what's right. Maybe you might even lose a friend. What are you going to do? Or maybe your family still does not understand why you became a Christian and they still won't talk to you. What are you going to do? Or maybe your kids have grown up and they've left and now they won't come see you because they want nothing to do with your faith anymore. What are you going to do? Maybe you have been trusting in God and you were following where you believed that He was leading you, but it's only brought you heartache and trouble. So, what are you going to do now? In all these situations, whatever it is you decide to do, don't give up on following Jesus. And don't believe that these things are happening to you because God doesn't love you. God, Loves you and he is using these things to conform you into the image of his son Think of everything that jesus has endured for you And if you really want to follow jesus and if you really want to be like him Then you will also endure whatever it costs to be his disciple The apostle paul puts it this way in philippians chapter 3 whatever gain I had I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So I ask you this morning, what is Jesus worth to you? Are you committed to following him? How can you possibly know that if there is never a cost? But whatever that cost is, we can pay it gladly because we know that it is nowhere near the cost that Jesus paid to save us. And we pay it because whatever it is, it is guaranteed to be making us more like Jesus. And, it is, and we also pay it because Jesus comforts us with the knowledge, with the certainty, that whatever it is, there is nothing we can lose that he will not repay And this gets us to our third and final point, which is the heart of discipleship. So as I already said, obeying the call, even counting the cost of discipleship, will not get us very far if we don't understand the heart that drives and that motivates discipleship. And the heart of discipleship is simply this. It is coming to Jesus as a child. Those who come to Jesus with childlike love for him and with childlike faith in him will gladly obey the call to follow Jesus and will gladly count the cost of following him. But those who don't come to Jesus as a child won't do either of those things. And the disciples in this story did not understand why Jesus wanted to waste his time with children. They were a distraction. They were messy. They were disorderly. They had nothing to contribute, nothing to provide. They were utterly helpless and dependent. They were needy. They were demanding. And they required too much attention. So the disciples wanted to send them away. But Jesus rebukes the disciples sharply. Verse 14 and 15 says, He was indignant. And said to them, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And as if he burst in, just to illustrate this point, this rich young man runs up to Jesus. And this rich young man didn't understand what he was missing. He had the status, he had wealth and possessions, he had this concocted facade of righteousness and piety. Everyone else was totally impressed by this man's show. So, why wasn't Jesus? It's because this rich young ruler did not know how to be a child, he did not know how to come to Jesus empty. He was blinded, and he was numbed by his wealth and his prosperity. He was deceived by his veneer of false self-righteousness. He could not see how needy he truly was. He thought he had so much to offer, but really, he had nothing. But he wasn't willing to admit that. And this is what Jesus wanted the disciples and what he wants us to understand. That to be his disciple, you come to him like a child empty-handed and broken and needy. And in a few minutes, we'll get to see exactly what this looks like. And in fact, we see this every Sunday when we leave the worship service and all the parents go to pick up their kids. Usually there's at least one kid. And as soon as he sees his daddy, he starts yelling his name. And he runs to him. And his daddy picks him up in his arms and gives him a huge hug. Jesus wants us to understand that we can come to God. In fact, the only way we can come to God is exactly in that way. For the Christian, God is our loving and kind and understanding Father who wants to come to Him with all our messes, with all our brokenness, with all our neediness and helplessness, and to leave behind our wealth and possessions, to leave behind our self-righteousness and false piety. All our pretension. He wants to leave those behind so that he can hold us close in his arms and he can satisfy us with his love. Jesus gives us a picture of that in this story as well, because it says he, he didn't just let the little children come to him, but it says, also says, He took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. There is something almost Primordial about this tender picture of Jesus with these children. After all, what is it that makes a baby stop crying as soon as her parents pick her up? For that baby, her parents' arms mean safety, they mean security and acceptance. They mean that whatever was happening before doesn't matter because now, in her mother's arms, she knows all will be. Well, and all of us at some level still feel that same desire, that same need for safety, for security, and for care and provision that a little baby feels when she is held in her mother's arms. In fact, if we're truly honest, I would wager, I would say, excuse me, I would say that this is the deepest, most desperate desire of all our hearts. And Jesus is saying that this is exactly what God is offering to us. That kind of embrace, that kind of relationship. Is this how you see God? Is this how you see yourself in relationship to him? Is he your devoting father, and are you his beloved child? Now, you might think that this is impossible, That God can't really be like that. But it's true. It is absolutely true. God is our Father. And here is how I know that this is true. Because God sent Jesus to die for you and for me. God sent his own son to pay the price for our sin and to destroy this barrier that separated us from him so that God could adopt us and embrace us into his family. So that God could make you and could make me his children. This is the very heart of the Christian faith. So God has shown us in Jesus just how far he was willing to go to love us and to make us his own. So in response to that, how could we not obey the call to follow Jesus? How could we not be willing to pay any price to be with him? What could we possibly desire or hold on to that would be better than this? Being a disciple of Jesus is just like that little child who sees his daddy and runs to him as fast as he can. And he doesn't let anything stop him or get in his way or distract him because there is nothing in the world that he wants more than to be held in the safe, loving arms of his father. God is our Father. And He's calling to us. He's calling to you. And His arms are open to receive and embrace us. And Jesus paid the price for us to be there in His arms. So drop everything. And don't let anything stop you or get in your way. Don't be distracted by earthly things. Run, follow Jesus, and run home to the Father. Let's pray.